Visible is a wireless carrier that is not invisible. It is pretty clear from the name, actually, radio waves are invisible. And I can say this with authority as a licensed amateur radio operator. That being said, Visible won't be giving you the power to see light outside the visible spectrum. It's actually way better because having that ability would make getting around very difficult and distracting. What you do get with Visible is unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. You get one line of wireless, just $25 a month, which is great in these times of economic uncertainty. That is one line for $25, taxes and fees included. So whatever you're doing at this moment, please stop. Switch immediately. Now, monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Wir gerne sehen in was ist los. It's dein Freundo Seth. I'm learning German. Yeah, in case you didn't know what that was. That is me trying to impress you with the little German that I know. Right now, I am actually learning German. I took it in high school. I goofed off the entire time. I did some other language learning apps. They taught me things like where the taxi stand is and how to find a bus, um, but not a lot of conversational uh German. Thankfully, that's what Babbel is all about. Babbel teaches you language conversationally, which let's face it, that is what you want to know anyway. I don't know. When I was in school, you learned like how to count. You learned like the colors. You learned the shapes. Those are all important things, but they don't help you when you're in uh, like Cologne, Germany with Ein Nierenstein, which by the way is German for kidney stone, uh, an experience I can unfortunately speak personally to. But I've been using Babbel to learn to speak German again, uh, better than I have before. I actually really like it because it is conversational. It's a little bit more relaxed. One of the things that it does that I really like is it'll sometimes show you what the literal English translation is. And I don't know why, but I find that very helpful in sort of understanding the structure, the grammar of a language and sort of putting myself into that mind space. Since I'm only in Germany for Gamescom, which is like a week, week and a half, I'm not immersed in the German language. I'm not immersed in German culture. So what I do is the second best thing. I'm taking Babbel. Hopefully this year when I go to Germany, I'll be able to impress all the Germans with how much German I know from learning through Babbel. The app has pronunciation recognition, so you'll be able to learn how to speak better with your accent, how to actually properly pronounce the words. That way you won't get made fun of by a, a group of older German men because you said Apfelstrudel and not Apfelstrudel. Um, no, it's really cool. Uh, I'm going to say right now there is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners because you guys are the best ones, by the way, at babbel.com slash realm. Get 60% off at babbel.com slash realm. That is spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash realm. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hello, Super Ninfrendos. Welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat episode 602. I am your host, Seth Macy. Today, I am joined by Casey DeFritis. Hello. Jada Griffin. Hello, hello. And of course, back again, industry legend, Kat Bailey. Hi, everybody. I'm back and ready to talk about Monster Hunter and Mario Kart and all of the video games. 
Yeah, all of the video games are happening right now. Let's get right to it. Tomorrow, well, tonight, I guess, at uh, 9 p.m. Pacific time, you will be able to get the first round of Mario Kart Booster Pass DLC. It includes four tracks. They're not new tracks. These are tracks from existing Mario Kart franchises. Uh, Tokyo Blur and Paris Promenade from the Mario Kart Tour and Choco Mountain from the N64, and Coconut Mall from Wii. There are two new cups, the Lucky Cat Cup and the Golden Dash Cup. I have the expansion pass. Uh, I am going to have to find my copy of Mario Kart Deluxe because I have no idea where it is. But I, for one, am excited, and I'm curious to hear what everyone else's thoughts are on it. Uh, who Who's excited for some Mario Kart Deluxe Booster Pass? I'm nobody. Uh, <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, well, I can talk I'm, about I'm, Monster uh, Hunter. I will probably. I probably. So I have been playing Mario Kart online because its online capabilities is good. So it's a good community game to stream. So I I will actually probably play this today with with people online. Excellent. I, Jada, will you be? Oh, go ahead, Jada. Uh, honestly, I am one of the probably five people on planet Earth who do not own Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. What? what? I, I am one of this five. Is astonishing, an astonishing I, revelation. Is, I didn't I know, know there were people like you even existed. This is incredible. I, it's amazing. I So I've played Mario Kart 8. The big thing was, is I had a regular group of friends that we always played Mario Kart at, at their house. So they were always the person to buy and own Mario Kart. Well. We got older. Times of, we have moved apart. We all live in different cities, so we don't get together every Friday and play Mario Kart. And we don't even get together, and they don't have as much time to play online. So I was like, I really only enjoy playing Mario Kart when I'm playing with friends. Like, and so, and I just haven't had as many friends that play Mario Kart regularly. So I was like, there's no point in me buying this game. I still bought Mario Party because I love playing Mario the mini games, but like, I don't know, Mario Kart, it just wasn't ever a solo experience for me. Except back in the 64 days. That's when, you know, when it was all in your house. You had to be there to play. Mm -hmm. um, but I love everything that's coming to Mario Kart. I'm a huge fan of Choco Mountain or Choco Mountain, however oh, yeah. you want to prefer, right? Because um, that's 64 days for me. Um, and Coconut Mall looks great. I love uh, Mario Kart Wii. So uh, I'm excited for everybody who is going to play it. Um, who knows? Maybe I'll find my way into a copy. I have the online expansion pass, so I get all the the cups but there you go i just i just got to figure out when's the right time to jump back into mario kart 8 just a weird no thing to say no time like the present that's all i'm gonna say cat what are your thoughts on the upcoming uh booster pass i was confusing choco mountain with a different course in <laughs> mario kart 64 so i was like oh. i don't like that course but actually i think in hindsight i probably do my personal feelings about mario kart 8 is that i haven't played it in a while we're more of a Smash Brothers household around mm -hmm. here. But I think that since I get it free with the Switch Online expansion pass, I'll probably break out Mario Kart and play with my friends uh, when they're over here. And it'll be a lot of fun to kind of jump back in. It's sort of holding me, I suppose, until uh, Mario Kart 9 eventually is released. Mario Kart 8 is still a very fun game to this day. It's kind of funny that, and we were discussing about this when it was first announced after the Nintendo Direct, it was kind of funny that Mario Kart 8 just kept selling and selling and selling until it there was like a 99.9999% attach rate. Jada yes. being the only one who doesn't actually yes. have Mario Kart 8. And Ruin that 100%. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
so it was funny that they didn't support it and seemingly were defiantly not supporting it until now where they're like 48 new courses, kapow. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to picking up this game that came out eight years ago. <laughs> Now, I'm I'm with you on that as well. Like I have the expansion pass, so I, I get this DLC automatically, which is why I'm like, oh, I might as well play it. I have access to it. Yeah. I, I don't have any recollection of Coconut Mall, but I do remember Choco Mountain very fondly. So, so in fact, Coconut Mall is actually a pretty fun course. And yeah. the the general reaction online has been pretty positive. Somebody somehow hacked this and managed to play it online already. So uh, that's interesting but initially there was a lot of discussion about how the courses they were saying don't have don't look very good or they were feeling like they were a noticeable downgrade from other courses in mario kart 8 a lot of the because they were porting a lot of them into the new game but it seems like people are feeling much more positive now they've actually been able to see courses like coconut mall in action so Positivity rating is going up, which I'm happy about because I like positivity. I'm a very yeah, positive person. I have strong memories about Coconut Mall, but I can't remember if they're negative or positive feelings. <laughs> if they're there, I will discover will when be... I replay today. I was going <laughs> to say, shock the memory, mm-hmm. and I'll immediately know whether I hate or love it. Are we? Uh, what's the first? What uh, double dash courses are we getting? Are we getting any double dash in this pass? Have they announced those yet? No. Double Dash was my favorite. (laughs) Yeah, Double Dash rules. Yeah, it's so funny because Double Dash wasn't... I remember when Double Dash came out, people were complaining about it pretty actively, but now it has become this beloved fixture in the Mario Kart mythos. It is the one Mario Kart game I competed in a tournament for, and I won. Really? I won a Double Dash tournament at at our local library. We had just a tournament. I was like, sweet! That's Um, awesome. I was Jade the driver. A pro gamer. I was the driver, and my buddy was the uh, was the item user. So I just had to drive, mm-hmm. and they they handled the items like a pr- like a pro. And then they said, "By the way, there are books here." And all the kids said, "That's not why we're here, library." Exactly. Nope. Just... Mario Kart Day. <laughs> yeah. I well, did the. I I accomplished the dream. We did the networking eight Game Cubes and televisions together what? to have sixteen Whoa. players in the house. And it was. That's... And never top five moment in my life, I think, right there. And that is why she is industry legend. That's where her exactly. legend began. It's her origin story, right there. <laughs> I think the cool. I think the best thing I got was that was the. Uh, I managed to get four friends together to play the. Um, what was it? The links of uh, Link Four Swords, Legend of Zelda Four Swords, with Game oh, Boy nice. Advances and everything. That was that was a challenge to get three friends willing to do that, but oh, yeah. we managed Satoru to do it. Iwata shed a single tear on that day <laughs> of, of joy and happiness i, I set everybody on moment, fire <laughs> i was completely unaware that uh having such land capabilities with the game you gamecube was even possible so that is even more amazing wow i just remember just playing mario kart 64 in my friend's dorm room in the air force sometimes until like four in the morning on a saturday night I think the only full game I stayed up Exciting. on this that during those times playing on uh, up till four AM was uh Fantasy Star Online. That was my oh. four AM game. Oh. I put so many hours into that game. It was worth it. It was so worth it. <laughs> All right. I digress. Mario Kart. Mario Kart, yeah, it comes out at nine PM tonight, uh Pacific time or midnight if you live on the East Coast like me. I will obviously be playing it this weekend because I'm very excited. I just have to find my copy. 
of Mario Kart. I'm kind of worried it's in the same location as our copy of Smash, which is to say nobody knows where that is. Do y'all so. think that it's going to drive Nintendo Switch Online Expansion Pass subscriptions, which really seems like Nintendo is trying to get? I think long term, yeah. I think when there's, you know, like half, you know, there's 24 new courses and people are just hearing about them and if they do a good job. But at the same time, Nintendo might just sort of just be like, well, we're going to stop promoting these. Here's the other 24 and then move on to something else. But I do think, yeah, this is going to drive some subscriptions. Not as many as if they put Game Boy Advance games on there. That would <laughs> be the ultimate success for them. So. I'm not so sure because I really? had kind of forgotten that this was happening until pretty much today. And I cover, I, I follow gaming news very closely, obviously, as part of yes. my job. So it tells me that Nintendo hasn't been pushing this very hard. So I wonder mm-hmm. how many fans who happen to own Mario Kart 8 will even realize that this is happening. Mm. I think Nintendo, uh, as well as like Pokemon Company and some other companies, have uh, dampened their promotions recently due to current world events so that might mm, as to yeah, why that they makes haven't sense. been blasting it out as much as they might have been that is true yeah. well time will tell on that one i i don't know it's it's such a good game if, if if there's a splash screen and you play this game all the time anyway you'll be like oh that's interesting new courses i can i've been playing this for eight years now so i can upgrade it finally this year i decided i actually wanted to like follow hockey a little bit more than just the most casual of casuals. So I subscribed to a service that streams all of the NHL to your television. Uh, The Boston Bruins home opener. I went to watch it and boom, blackout restrictions apply, which I thought was kind of ridiculous because I'm still 200 miles away from Boston, but whatever. Had I had NordVPN, that wouldn't have been a problem. I would have just gone in, changed my settings to another geographic area, and boom, I could have been watching all the Boston Bruins home games like it was nothing at all. So now I have NordVPN, and I can watch the home games of my local teams streaming without being frustrated. It's the same thing with, like, Netflix. It has all these complicated licensing rules, which from one country to another don't really make sense. So something you could watch on South Korean Netflix, you won't be able to watch on the United States Netflix unless NordVPN, boom, switch to South Korea, and you're watching whatever Korean drama that you want I highly recommend you do that. I haven't done it myself, but people seem to enjoy them. And who am I to try to bring down people's enjoyment? Uh, NordVPN, more than just entertainment and sports availability, it's going to protect you, especially when you're traveling, when you're using public Wi-Fi. People are trying to get in there. They're creeping on you. Bad actors, people trying to steal your password, your bank account details. Who knows what the government's doing these days? I can't keep track. They're all over the damn place. NordVPN... It's going to protect you. It's going to protect up to six devices because I know you have at least that many devices in front of you right now that can hook up to the internet. Boom. Fastest VPN in the world. You're not going to get any buffering. You're not going to get any lagging. Uh, It's going to stop your ISP from bandwidth throttling, which they do. That's kind of sneaky, especially how much you're paying those guys. There's threat protection to protect you from viruses and malicious malware and whatever else. Uh, Um unsavory actors are out there. If you want to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash NintendoVC. That's nordvpn.com slash NintendoVC. Victor Charlie. Uh, That link is also going to give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There is no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. 
That's nice of them, and I appreciate that. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Moving along, we're going to talk about a game that we have a whole panel of experts here to discuss. Monster Hunter Sunbreak. Coming June 30th. Casey, just take it away. I'm just going to oh, take man. my headphones off and just okay. I'll be back when you're because I don't um, know what I'm talking about. But please, please, please give us the rundown. Uh, so we first learned that Monster Hunter Sunbreak was coming during the Game Awards in December, I think was when it was announced. And at that time, we learned about uh, the new Elder Dragon uh, Melzano was coming as well as the return Shogun Sienitar. But this new trailer and new whole presentation gave us a lot. It's coming June 30th. Finally, new is my project. I predicted it was going to come the week before 4th of July. And yeah, that's the Thursday before 4th of July. Um, it's going to include master rank difficulty, new story, new hub town, new locale. It seems to be on par with the caliber of content that came with the Iceborne expansion with Monster Hunter World. So I don't even know like how in-depth I should get, but I think that some of the most important things is we learned that there are some new monsters coming, including Garengolm and Blood Orange Bijutin. We have the return of Astalos, which is a thunder uh, flying wyvern, which is very cool. I guess electricity, thunder, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's very cool. Insect-related. Astalos is one of my favorite. I'm excited for the return of that. We also saw an unnamed goblin bird wyvern, like one of those raptor monsters. We, it, we don't know what it's called. It's definitely inspired by goblins. And I mentioned that because all of the new monsters are inspired by Western monsters. So we got Malzano inspired by the vampire. We got Ludogaron inspired by werewolf. And we see in the new trailer, it actually does stand up on its hind legs when it's enraged. So that's really cool. And now we got Garangolm based on Frankenstein's monster, I believe. So you can just call it Frankenstein. Nobody. Frank. Yeah, Frank. Just call him Frankie. Garangolm seems to be based off of the skeleton that um, Rajang uses, if anyone's familiar mm. with that. Uh, it, it, to me, that's what it looks like. Um, I can keep going, but I feel like I'm, I'm hogging the spotlight. We've also No, got I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm jaded. Do you have anything to add? Because I know you are literally playing Monster Hunter, like, right now. Yeah, I, so I literally just started Rise. I, you know, I bought it at launch, uh, but other stuff came out, distracted me, and I was like, not really feeling how it was here in the end game was going yet. So it's like, I'm going to wait, give it some time for some event quests to come out. They announced Sunbreak. I'm like, perfect. Now's the time for me to finally actually set aside time, dive into it. Um, and so I'm going through. I think I'm going to stick with my tried and true greatsword just because I like big numbers and I cannot lie. <laughs> um, and so um, I'm excited to see these new monsters. Uh, I've, I've already, I see the Blood Orange Bishoten. I am definitely just going to be calling that Bob in the lobbies. <laughs> It's just going to be slaying Bob whenever we can. Um, it's also my boss's name, which is funny. Um, so, <laughs> Blood Orange Bishoten? Blood Orange Bishoten <laughs> is my boss's name at IGN. Look it up, everybody. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, I'm super excited. These new creatures look amazing. Um, if With Casey saying it's got the amount of content in Iceborne, I'm really excited now for Sunbreak because I've got like three... I've got way too many hours. I can't even keep track of how many hours I have in Monster Hunter uh, World and Iceborne. 
Um, I'm still tracking down like the last 40 miniature and um, crowns, the last 40 I miniature crowns. I, I so gave up. <laughs> oh, man. I'm just so close. Those are the only trophies I need for the platinum in both yeah. World and Iceborne are the miniature crowns. And Everyone. So, so close. <laughs> That's everybody. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm excited for this. This looks great. Yeah, and I, I did want to mention that they specifically say on the official website there are new locales. Um, and mm. I want to specify that because in Iceborne, there was only the Horfrost Reach and then I guess the Guiding Lands as well. But this makes me think they're going to be more than just the Citadel, which is what they showed during this trailer. And by the way, the Citadel's forlorn ruins of an old castle at the base of a mountain, and it just has uh, extreme Elden Ring vibes. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, just like... <laughs> no need to apologize. Stuff. I'm, I'm obsessed. You guys were right. I'm sorry. Uh, but there's also there's also more. They also showed some new Silkvine moves and attacks. They showed weapons from some of these new monsters. They're also going to be morphed fire bugs, new endemic life. There's a lot of and things and of course a lot of new a new cast of colorful characters to inhabit the new hub that we're going to be going to called elgato not to be confused with elgato the spanish word for cat or, the, oh. or that it's that's where i would say e-l-g-a-d-o spelled spelled differently ah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> we have a, for, an idea my hope for my hope for sunbreak is that First of all, I want more Turf Wars, and they showed that during the actual trailer, so I'm getting a little more hope. I've been playing a lot of Iceborne lately, actually, So, and it's kind of a different flavor of Monster mm -hmm. Hunter, and it kind of reminded me that I actually really enjoyed Iceborne, maybe even a little bit more than Monster Hunter Rise, even though I do like the, the Palamutes and everything. And one thing that I really enjoy about Iceborne is I feel like there are a few more tools available to you, and I enjoy being able to, uh, and the turf wars are a lot of fun and it's maybe a little more challenging. So I think I would like to see all of those things incorporated into Monster Hunter Rise. Um, I, I, a lot of people would say this is where the actual game starts uh, in a lot of ways, because this is where Ma Master Rank gets introduced and the absolute highest level monster encounters begin. So I think this is a hardcore expansion for Monster Hunter Rise fans, but certainly well worth revisiting because usually Capcom really brings it with their expansions. They certainly mm -hmm. did with Iceborne. So I'm I'm very excited about this. Yeah, they kill it. And I just wanted to throw this out there as like a little bit of a, a PSA. Normally with Master Rank in, in Monster Hunter, your equipment from the base game is obsolete basically immediately like even the mm -hmm. worst armor you can make with monster master rank monsters any of them are going to be better than your best armor and weapons from the previous game so don't worry about grinding out a bunch of new sets because they're going to be useless <laughs> i really hope that the new raid uh i really hope that the new weapons don't require you to do the raids um mm -hmm. or whatever they were called but i i forget what they were called but they were basically tower defense and Why? they were Why? fine, but I didn't particularly like having to do all of them to get because they all had the best weapons there, as I recall. So I what? would rather just fight monsters over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm like having a blank. What are those things called? Why am I having a blank? I don't that? remember, honestly, but pretty much I think they were literally called raids, but the weapons that came out of them were generally the the highest tier weapons. And so you kind of had to do them if you wanted the best stuff. Rampages. Rampages. Yeah. I, like, I, I made want... a I made a guide on that. I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> I was kind Rampages. of trying to cast them out of my mind because I mean there you go. a lot of people don't like them. I actually had some friends who played all the way through up into Iceborne to some of the hardest content. 
and everyone was very excited for Rise, and they hated the Rampages and never got past them. I was excited to not, when I was playing Iceborne, I was like, I'm so happy to not have to do Rampages anymore. Because the problem with Rampages is, I mean, first of all, you're sitting on, you know, arrow turrets and bombs and cannons and everything. It's surprisingly easy. Uh, The monster fights feel very rote and very quick. Like, instead of a a knockdown, drag-out battle like you would normally have, you're just trying to kill as many as you possibly can. It feels kind of weird. So it's just something to get through as opposed mm-hmm. to an actual really exciting and fun experience. It doesn't feel very monster huntery to me. It yeah. kind of feels half-baked actually. Yeah, so like those types of things, the ballistas, the using bomb barrels, any type of those like uh emplaced garrisons and such in Monster Hunter games are great when you can use them on your own terms when you're not like required to use them. So like fighting, you know, Fatalis in the Iceborne and all the DLC for World and Iceborne, you know, I would go in stealth, set up a bunch of bomb barrels, load up the cannons, fire the cannons, get them get a bunch of free damage right off the bat, get a free knockdown, break some parts and then continue with the fight as normal. But you know and that's great because that's part of a strategy you have a build set for that you go back to camp change your back to your regular and then you continue on the regular fight but the rampage is just never even for me for who hasn't gotten one yet from the trailers is like this doesn't look to be fun like and that's saying something from a long-term monster hunter fan i've been playing since freedom unite actually i played the original on ps2 for like i don't know three hours and i was like this is not for me at this point i was not ready um but freedom to unite got me so i've been with it ever since i i definitely wouldn't have minded the rampages if they were only story related content i guess Mm -hmm. like make you do them like once or twice and maybe you do them a few times for some certain materials like i i know everyone hates the zora magdaros fight in monster hunter world but you don't have to do it that many times to get what you need and the rampages, there are just so many reasons that you have to go back. You should go back and do them, like the rampage weapons. And then you also get the tickets for a lot of other reasons as well. And you also need to do them to unlock the fights for the apex uh, monsters outside of the rampage. So there's a lot of reasons that why you have to go back and redo them. So, and that, there's just a, there's a lot of them that are story related. Yeah. I'm just excited with Rise, with Sunbreak coming, that I will just be able to rock my basic armor not worry about doing those and get into the master rank yeah. and get the master rank gear and ignore all that stuff now i think yep. i made the right decision it's funny because I, I couldn't remember because i really like monster hunter rise and it was the first time that i was actually into it and i couldn't remember what it was that made me fall off and this talk about the rampages now has reminded me that's where i kind of lost my interest and i know i probably should just push through so i i apologize you you broke up a little bit there, Seth. I'm sorry. Oh, I did? Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, yeah. Monster Hunter Rise was the first one that actually got me. So I, I'm going to say I'm going to try Sunbreak, but I'm not. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you all. I'm going to have you all back on when that comes out so we can talk about the it. Truth. I mean, <laughs> I'll get it and I'll be like, yeah, and I'll be so excited to talk about it. And then I'll just. Seth, I'll, Seth, yeah. you, well, I'll, when I get to the Rampages, I'll I'll ping you and we can do them together and just enjoy misery together we just enjoy the misery together <laughs> right. suffer uh, together you know what they say rampages love company so all right <laughs> also um cat you did mention that you 
would like to see more tools like we saw in Iceborne. So there is the marionette spider that's going to be introduced in Sunbreak, which like is not going to be as versatile as the clutch claw, obviously, but it can be used to grab onto a monster and throw it into a wall. So like little tiny baby mechanic from that. <laughs> and I love the clutch claw. <laughs> it's very, uh, um, oh, what is the word? Uh, there was a lot of discourse around the clutch claw, I think, with people yeah. of whether they liked it or, or not. I think it, it was just such a powerful thing that you were forced to use it. Um, yep. if you to get through the master rank content in Monster Hunter World. So it's I'm I'm interested. I'm I'm very excited. I'm glad I'm gonna have a reason to come back and have new monsters. Malzano looks freaking cool. The layered armor that you get for the new Malzano amiibos are rad as hell. I'm it's very neat. I'm excited. And this comes out June thirtieth, and it is a it is not a standalone. It does require the the base game. Is that correct? Yes, it does. And, and it's also to... probably not a good introduction to Monster Hunter. Like this is only well, if you're into Monster Hunter. Well, you won't be able to start it until you reach like the last story quest, which is the HR Seven Hub Quest Serpent Goddess of oh. Thunder, which actually came out Spit for facts. Monster Hunter Rise uh, after the base game was out. It came out as an update. Nice. There Thus, is. now is a good time to start before uh, before it mm -hmm. launches in June. Yeah, you can just well, finish that HR7 hub quest and just call it quits and wait. Just like that. I should get back into it. It's a very fun game. It, I liked it so much more than I was expecting. And I don't know. I'm just the worst. It's really fun and fast-paced and definitely a, a yeah. much like easier transition into a Monster Hunter than there have, have ever been. I don't think anyone is ever going to stop saying that about any of the new Monster Hunters. It's always but this time it's real. One, but... <laughs> this time they mean it. I know that's what everybody said about the last one on PS4 and then it completely did not. I, I don't even think I got an hour on that one. Really? Yeah. So I think the though. I know. I think the big thing with Monster Hunter is as a series and this kind of also applies to like the Souls games. You kind of have to have somebody almost usher you into mm -hmm. the series nowadays because there's so much going on right off the bat that like if you want to take full advantage of everything going on you kind of have to have somebody explain like okay what's a blight what does that mean what is you yeah. know what what is a stun you know how do i stun the monsters what is you know what is it the trick for that what's the what, why do i need to break off parts like those those types of different things status effects and stuff like that it really helps to have somebody just kind of explain like oh it's just this and break it down to very simple terms. I think that's one area I think games still needs to advance is in their kind of like they do tutorials, like they tell you what things are, but they don't tell you why you want to do these things or explain mm -hmm. them. And so I think that's a good area where games should kind of look into evolving to just up their approachability for um, new audiences. I think that uh, we were talking about this yesterday. It was the wickification of video games, and you're seeing it heavily with games like Elden Ring, mm -hmm. where these games like Monster Hunter, Elden Ring, etc., develop these kind of communities who make it their business basically to explain all of the really esoteric mechanics to new players. And so when you first come in, you go, "What the heck is even going on here? I have no idea." That goes. Uh, uh, that's a big one from Monster Hunter. And yep. yes, um, I have a group of friends who have been playing since I think the PlayStation 2 version. They've been playing for a long time together. And we went all the way through Iceborne. We went all the way through Monster Hunter Rise together. And they weren't necessarily explaining things to me. It was kind of on me to go, okay, but yeah, what's going on here? And then having to like Google everything. And 
I kind of agree with you, Jada, in that I think game developers sort of take that for granted now. And I don't know if there's a way that you can kind of incorporate that information more into video games because there's a lot to process usually. You know what they need to bring back? Instruction manuals, guys. That's what I was just <laughs> going to say. I bring read back your mind, Seth. <laughs> instruction manuals and packing maps. That's what every mm-hmm. video game should have. They it's my theory. Ha- they actually do have instruction manuals for both World and Rise and Ice Print, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is accessible within the game, but they have a whole online instruction yeah. manual. No, 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 no. I want, I want a, a paper what a, what instruction manual. For the people who buy them digitally, though. But they mailed out to be me. Able- you should send. You should be able to send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Capcom, and they'll send you one back. The thing is, they explain the basic mechanics to you, mm-hmm. but as you get much deeper into a high-level armor grinding and that kind of thing, and putting all of the gems into that armor, and what all of these do, and what does that particular stat do? It rarely actually does a good job of explaining all of that using the interface. Yes, it it doesn't do a good job at it and it's um i it's funny because i want to be like well back in my day because i played the Mm -hmm. original on the original like it was even worse Worse. than it is now so So it's kind of so to me i'm just seeing great improvement over like what Mm -hmm. i started with but Mm -hmm. i also recognize that it is still not enough um especially when i go on and play with people who haven't upgraded their armor don't know that they should be crafting mega potions like don't know about like how they should be eating before leaving every time it's just like oh i just go on the quest and i kill the thing and they're not using all of the tools that are available to them to make them successful and that is something that if you've been playing for a long time like you know to use the tools available to you or you'll probably fail and if you're used to playing other games you don't know that like i have to be like with some people I had to be like a drill sergeant and be like, did you eat? Did you craft your mega potions? Did you switch mm-hmm. out your inventory? Did you take that armor buff? Like, did you do those things? Like, and when's the last time you upgraded your armor? And like, they get it eventually, but they kind of like need a, a shepherd to go along and tell them to do these, those things. And the actual game, they tell you about it and then kind of let you do your own thing. Which is yep. great for people who know what they're doing, but really bad for people who have not had that ingrained into their way of playing. And I, I think I've realized one of the best ways for a game to tutorialize something is to make make you do it and mm-hmm. in a way that makes you realize how important it is. And Monster Hunter might tell you to do those things, but doesn't really make you do it in a way that makes you understand why. And I mm. I think maybe a series of optional tutorials mm-hmm. quests that kind of explain all of those things and be like hey if you've never played this you should do this series of quests and like maybe give you a really cool reward for doing it too so that people who think they're better than tutorials will still want to do it um <laughs> would be great anyway totally off tangent topic um, no i think but i also like interesting the community. conversation yeah, yeah i i also really like the community aspect of it and the yep the encouragement of like, oh, you should just play with other people who have some experience. And then it, it causes people to form communities and form bonds with other people and learn. And it is a very cool thing that other game series don't have. And I think if they did over tutorialize it, we would lose some of the community magic. So yeah. Yeah. 
The funny thing is, like, uh, you're talking about optional quest lines. It's not a bad idea to do to learn by doing. But at the same time, I'm very much checking my watch and going, yeah, yeah, get me through this. I want to get to the game proper. Yeah, I, I will exactly. I will Google it later. It's it's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it, I think one thing they could do for like even simplifying something as eating before a meal is at, instead of having to eat before you queue up, like you queue up, it takes you to the the cafe or the restaurant with the with the the palico that's cooking for you and you everybody selects their meal after everybody's eaten the mission starts so like i mm-hmm. think something even as simple as that could help streamline some of that process and remind people like hey you need to eat every time mm-hmm. um because they give you the option to just not if you want to be hardcore and just not eat exactly <laughs> yeah yeah if you just want to have drinks and just get luck get you know <laughs> boost your drops then uh, there yeah. you go well, Casey, I think you identified a side hustle, and that's uh, Monster Hunter Shepherd. And people could just pay you to show them how to how to play. That the is game. actually a thing. Like people, mm-hmm. that that is a job out there. Yeah. Whoa. Well, for dang. other games besides just Monster Hunter, but yeah, that is also a thing. Okay. All right. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from Monster Hunter, let's talk about another subject that we have a lot of experts in, and that is Pokemon uh global wait yeah global wonder station now available in brilliant diamond and shining pearl it doesn't work like it doesn't you know and like you know what casey would you please just i you wrote these notes and i don't know what uh any of this means and i'm sorry no it's okay um so when we first got brilliant diamond and shining pearl back in november of 2021 the global trading station in the original diamond and pearl was not available and it was not ready to be open this is not the global trading station though this is the global wonder station and it works very differently from the global trading station we sorry so there's the, the gws which is the thing in brilliant diamond and shining pearl and the gts which was one in the in the original diamond and pearl and also now in pokemon home the gts allows you to put up a pokemon for trade and ask for a specific pokemon in return so you can put up your palkia and say i want a dialga and then it will match you with someone who Put up the same parameters and let you trade. The Swipe right. Global... Huh? Oh, Swipe yeah. right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Global Wonder Station works like Wonder Trade, which was introduced in Pokemon X and Y, I believe, mm. which you put up a random yes. Pokemon, you get a random Pokemon in return. However, there is this kind of cool new extra mechanic that whenever you do it, you unlock points on the map. It is totally random. If you can see in this video, if you're watching the video, I put up a trade from the southeast of the united states and it matched me with a random person who chose the point in the north pole you're not you're not actually trading with people in these areas (laughs) you pick the point to trade from but then if you trade with someone who chose that point to trade from it puts that point on your map which you'll see after this trade in a second so you're saying you traded with santa claus i traded with santa claus i got a roll to santa claus for my starly named awe um (laughs) but I guess the ultimate goal is to do so many wonder trades that you have done it with all of the points on the map, which is a globe. And then you have just a bunch of Pokemon icons all over your globe and it's cool. Can you set points in the ocean? um, No. So there you don't choose the points. So if you like if you're watching right now, the only point I have right now is of Ralts. But I think I do another trade after this in the video. You can see. But it's a it's set points that you choose from. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah. So right now my globe is empty except for that one point where I got the Ralts from. Uh, what else is yeah. new in the Pokemon uh, world happening right now? 
Um, Pokemon Home still isn't available, which is weird. And they still have not told us when it will be available. <laughs> um, but also in other news, you now you have like a little bit less than one week left to go get Shaman's item through Mystery Gift in Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. You'll get uh, Oak's letter. Um, and by less than a week, I think it's until like. What's today's date? 17th. 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 Happy St. Patty's Day to you. I don't I don't remember the exact date, but. I'll you go go to my wiki page and look at that and you'll see the exact date. Um, but you only you have about a week left, so you should go do that or else you will not be able to get Shaman in Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. The the process so you can get the letter and hold on to it. You don't have to go and catch the Shaman like once you get the item, it's fine. Uh, but once you do, you have to go to Route 224, which is inside of Victory Road that only opens up after you get the National Dex. To figure out how exactly to find it, because it's a pain in the butt, you can look at my wiki page on that by searching how to get Shaman uh, on Um Looks like the last date is March 27th. Great. Thank so you, you got 10 days. That. 10 days from All right, now. Cool. Yes. And it's March 27th at like 7 o'clock in the morning. So yeah, it's not really March 27th. It's like March 26th, which I think is the date I put on the wiki for that reason. So I'm not wrong. I'm protecting you. Um, yes. Good looking out. <laughs> um, we also, um, Arceus is also now available in Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, but only if you already caught Arceus in uh, Legends Arceus and have that save data in your game. Go to your room and there will be an Azure Flute on the floor. You go to Spear Pillar and you can fight Arceus. And also Darkrai will be available between the new moons in April. So between uh, April 1st and April 30th, uh, you can get the member card through Mystery Griff in Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. And then you'll be able to get Dark Ray, but only after getting the National Dex and going through Cresselia's questline and catching Cresselia as well. They That's all really, the news in the world of Pokemon. They really <laughs> want us to jump their hoops for these uh, these Pokemon. I remember, yeah, I remember back in the day, the older ones were just like, hey, there's a mystery gift. Just go to your mystery gift option on your game and here's your free Pokemon. Simple as that. Or go to a GameStop, take your, your, yep. your 3DS into a GameStop, mystery gift, there's your free Pokemon. Um, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to go to a GameStop anymore after working so, there for like 10 years. Also, but. <laughs> actually, if you want to get a special Hisui and Growlithe and some free Pokeballs, you can go to your GameStop right now with Pokemon Legends Ooh. Arceus. Well, there you go. <laughs> a long time ago, back in the days of Ruby and Sapphire, you could get a special ticket that would take you to an island where you would have to fight the Oxus. So it wasn't just downloaded straight into your game. So they've always kind of True. done the no no yeah. you have to go do the the thing to actually get the pokemon yeah in the Mostly. original yeah. diamond and pearl it, they were the same quests like more yeah. or less with the, like, the same kind of items so I, they're just being faithful i think to get the items in diamond and pearl i don't remember i'm just not going to say anything i don't remember how you actually got the items i don't remember if it was a an online thing i think you had to go to a specific place to get them though but i i don't remember so don't quote me I don't think I'm ever going to get Arceus because I've more or less, I've decided to bounce off Pokemon Legends. Like, I, I had a good time. I got, mm -hmm. I managed to roll the credits. I did some of the post-game stuff. I got to a fairly challenging battle and managed to get to the first part of it. And then I got to the second part and died. And I was like, oh, I think I'm good. I don't think I need to uh, finish this off. And that is my, that is it for me in Pokemon Legends Arceus. It was a, it was a fun 30 hours, so... Nice. Well, that's a good way to spend 30 hours. But that brings yeah, us. Yeah, no. I had a good time. I, 
people seem very tied up with Pokemon Legends Arceus. So they're like, if Pokemon Gen 9 isn't like Pokemon Legends Arceus, I'm going to be so mad. I'm like, why? It's fine. <laughs> you know, it's well, okay. I mean, but to be fair, a lot of people were just going to be mad anyway. Uh, that's so. true. That's true. I, I hope they incorporate the catching mechanic. That's about it. But I, the battle system ultimately kind of bored me in Legends Arceus. I much prefer the classic really? Pokemon battle system. So. I just oh, hope yeah. they bring the system of being able to swap your moves at any time, not having to go to a specific trainer to like, I want to relearn flamethrower or I want to yeah. relearn, relearn slash or whatever. Yeah. I need. do. I do like those quality of life uh, improvements. Yes. And I, I also look forward to Pokemon home compatibility coming out because I, I think that might actually get me to play more legends Arceus again, because once I can start swapping Pokemon out of legends Arceus, that would be, a really good impetus to actually be playing it because it's a really great way, for example, to get shinies as we were yeah. kind of learning mm -hmm. when we were talking to Joe a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Nice. That brings us to the next segment, which is what we've been playing. And we're not actually going to hit this segment very hard because it looks like it's a whole lot of Nintendo. And me personally, yeah, I've been playing Gran Turismo and I'm sorry. I just love Gran Turismo a whole heck of a lot. And I spent a long time trying to get a license that it turns out was glitched and you couldn't get it. In fact, I put 350 oh, no. miles on the truck for that license. And that tells you something because the course is like a two tenths of a mile. Oh, my long. God. So, yeah, it's a bummer. But they're patching it out today. Hooray for me. So I'm very excited about that. Oh, Kat, what have you been playing? Uh, so this game came out yesterday. It's called Tunic and yeah. it's been getting a lot of reviews. It's on Xbox Game Pass right now, as well as PC. And for Nintendo fans, this game looks like it's for you because it's kind of a very adorable, isometric, Zelda-like game where you're playing as a fox. And it has adorable kind of 8-bit instruction manual Im imageries, illustrations Ooh. in the actual game. And apparently it's also very, very hard. Mm -hmm. And... This game seems like a layup to actually come out on Nintendo Switch. Uh, it kind of looks like Death Door, actually. But this seems like one of those games that is very much in the category of it comes out of nowhere and then ends up being on a lot of Game of the Year lists. So I, I awesome. love the art style. It looks gorgeous. Yeah. The little character is adorable. I mean, look mm -hmm. at that little fox guy. He's oh. great. He's, yep. I love him. So I'm in my pocket. Yeah, I no, literally exactly. just got to that siege engine last night. I'm on that boss right now. Um, and the bosses are challenging. They're they're more challenging than most Zelda bosses I've fought, um, which is great. Um, I'm really yeah. digging it. The sense of exploration in this game. I've been playing Tunic as well. I'm just going to jump the gun on you, Seth, um, because this game is amazing. Um, it's so cute. It's amazing. Um, the exploration, there's so many hidden paths like and there's so many things that you can do right out the gate but you don't know that you can do them until you find pieces of that instruction manual. So I've now just kind of, after I started figuring that out, it's like, I just kind of go and try different things at every single thing you can potentially interact with. And I'm like, oh, hey, this is a teleporter. I can teleport around now. This is cool. Where, um, where is the teleporter? Oh my God. I've also been playing. I'm like, geez, I need a teleporter. You, you want me to tell you? Should I say no, it on here? Or do you always say it after? It's, I, I won't we'll spoil it. it. We shouldn't spoil it. But man. This, uh, yeah, I've also been playing and I went somewhere I absolutely should not have been. And just know if you start playing, oh. you need to recognize if you should not, if you should just turn back. <laughs> it's one of those, <laughs> it's one of those things. Um, yeah, I was just in a dungeon that I, I don't even think I had what I needed to get through it. And everything just one shot me. And I was like, I, I shouldn't have cheesed my way into here. 
I see now why they posted this guard at the top of this uh, this area. Um, <laughs> it's it's really fun and and cute and it's is it cold. It's is it that is it like knight with like the green uh, the green like cape or whatever and the shield no, and spear? I, him, I just ran past. He's he's okay. whatever. He just stands there. <laughs> it was I went in, I went into this place called like the frog caves or something. I don't know. There's oh, I haven't even like, found that yet. Yeah, there's a bunch of ninja frogs and. I should not be down there. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so I, I made my way all the way back up and started exploring some more and I hadn't needed to heal. And I, so I had, didn't go back to like one of the save points and I accidentally got murdered and it spawned me right back into the depths of those caves where I should have been. I was like, no. Oh, no. <laughs> also finding secret entrances and stuff. I just have made me like gasp out loud. It's, it's cool. It, there's a mm-hmm. lot of discovery in the game. We were talking uh, earlier about wikification of gaming and tutorialization, that kind of thing. What do you think of Tunic's solution to this particular problem? I like it. Honestly, it's it's like a puzzle within within the, the whole discovery system. Like it's not just like, oh, hey, look, these are your items, but it doesn't tell you what the items are. So you just kind of have to test them and figure out what they do um, or take your best guess before wasting your little decoy foxes like i did threw it into just the water and i was or like just running along the edge of the water i'm like there's no enemies here this was probably pretty pointless but now i know for the next time i got it. i was like this looks kind of like a polka doll yep <laughs> did you explain just like real quick what the system is that you're that you're describing because i don't really i haven't played this game so i don't actually know uh, you're talking about like the like the tutorial and like the the instruction yeah. manual and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, every so often you'll find these like little uh, white glowing cards on the ground, and you pick it up, it'll give you a front and back page of an instruction manual, kind of like old school NES days. The difference is the instruction manual is all pictures, and the language is in a fictional language that doesn't translate or anything. So you have to just oh, kind of infer what everything is based off of the image and what. It, what it, it like kind of points to there's a little bit of english in there um for certain things um like mm. a lot of the locations will be named out um but a lot of the stuff is just kind of trial and error um and as you figure things out it will fill in stuff like you can upgrade your stats and as you upgrade your stats those boxes on that instruction manual page will fill in it'll say hp stamina mp um okay. and all the other stats all right, so it's, it's a completely nonsensical. Like you wouldn't be able to crack the cipher and figure out what. The, no, no. Maybe. I mean, maybe. I don't. I'm gonna assume no. Someone right now is doing it. They're running it. a complex <laughs> yes. NSA algorithm to do it. So it's like the well, alien language in Futurama, where that it it actually maybe is has a rhyme and a reason to it. So I bet. Yeah. I bet people will figure it out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Video game linguists. I love that kind of stuff. I got like way into it when Fez first came out. Like I was all into trying to figure out its secrets, which, by the way, you can play on Nintendo Switch and it's a great way to play it. I'm hoping this game does come out on Nintendo Switch um, just so that everybody who doesn't have Game Pass can enjoy it. it Oh, it's inevitable. This is this is so coming out to Switch. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, I I believe this was done by one person. Yes, that's what. Yeah, yeah. which is really impressive. I'm trying to remember his name, but I believe the first name is Andrew, if I remember correct. But I could be wrong, so don't quote me on it. But yes, it was done by one person. Off the record, we think the person's name is Andrew. All right. (laughs) That is what we've been playing for this week. No no Nintendo stuff. Sorry, everybody. I know that I said I was going to play Triangle Strategy and get real into it, but 
too much talking for me and i'm sorry i know you have to get to chapter four then it gets real good but it's it's i'm sorry it feels like it's a crime against god to play anything but elden ring right now sorry well that grand turismo pulled me from elden ring uh (laughs) the challenge there is also uh frustrating so satisfying when you finally finally cross the finish line and get that gold medal nice thing is the switch can be a kind of a chaser can be kind of like, oh, I need to take a break from GT7 or Elden Ring or you know Wonder Horizon. Palette cleanser. Wonder that, palette yeah. cleanser. That is actually, yeah, I played the Kirby demo after playing just like hours and hours of Elden Ring. And I was like, this feels like so wonderful. It is so sweet and charming. It is. Yeah, it was a nice, wonderful little palette cleanser from that. So uh, we are going to do question block. I put question block out on um, Twitter and Facebook in a rare double question block ask because originally we were just gonna answer question block questions and then stuff happened and so now we had to kind of kind of um hone it down a little bit Sorry, but it's let's <laughs> no it's not no casey like it is awesome you know that we everybody loves to talk about monster hunter. nobody loves <laughs> talking about monster hunter more than people who are into monster hunter and so they're so happy and so excited when monster hunter is spoken it's a with. great game one of the best it is it's a very good game and it has a very good fan base around now we're going to take some questions. So first off, I wanted to ask uh, this one from Matt Barrett on Facebook, because today is March 17th. It's St. Patrick's Day. Oh. Matt Barrett asks, would Link be Irish in the real world? Green seems to be his favorite color. Fairies and elves also make me think of Anglo-Saxon mythology, which isn't Irish. That's actually. But anyway, and he also wears a tunic, as we all know. If you've ever been to Ireland, everyone is just wearing a tunic. So that's, that's all they I want to ask. Yep, that's all they wear in Ireland. So what do we think? Do you think do we think that Link would be Irish in the real world? This is an important question. What a specific question. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I I always angled. I, he's on, got I, that kind of Celtic look to him. I suppose that's what I was yeah. going to go. It's like Celtic yeah. was always my initial bet. Was Celtic? Yeah, I I, I think it's fair. And then you know, in the original one. The shield had like a big cross, so maybe he was mm-hmm. uh, Catholic. Wait. A lot of Catholics in Ireland. So there we go. It, I don't want to get into the, the history of all that. So <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes, definitively, <laughs> canonically, Link is Irish. Hi, Hyrule uh, is Irish. Uh, uh, Wind Waker takes place actually in the channel between Ireland and the rest of the British Isles. So there we go. We solved that one. And happy. Happy St. Patrick's Day to Kat, the only member of the cast today who's actually wearing green. I I have a large portion of my bloodline is Irish, so I feel obligated. Yeah, I actually I, do as well, and I just forget every year. <laughs> I, I totally forgot. Also, a little bit ir- Irish. Uh, I mean, my husband's last name is Sullivan, so quite, quite uh, Irish. Um, Sully. <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to wear re- green, but my camera actually was freaking out with the red background and the green shirt and couldn't figure out oh, how to color balance it so i changed oh. <laughs> i wanted to show my love for mario strikers so i had to wear my mario strikers like the first time i get to be back on nvc in months so yeah that is a, a legitimately awesome shirt or i guess what would they what do they call a it jersey jersey oh a jersey. a jersey i thought i thought there was a, a different name like a sweater now this is like it's like it's like a like a jersey like you would wear like a soccer jersey it's like an yeah. legit soccer jersey it's a kit it's very cool there it is that's it that's what it is excellent all right this next one i i swear i used to hear this question asked like every week on podcasts around like 
2010 or 2012. This one comes from at pixels underscore Chris on Twitter. As someone who's trying to get into games journalism space, do you have any tips on things to stand out when applying? And I have thought about this a lot uh, as, you know, thinking of my own trajectory into this space and I have no advice anymore. And I'm sorry because you just can't do it the way that I did. The way I just like made myself known everywhere. I joined every community and I listened to every podcast. And anytime they asked for freelancers, I was emailing whatever editor was asking for freelancers with samples. And uh, that's how I started at one up with a Netflix blog because it used to be such a, a, a thing, a, a novel thing that to stream videos on an Xbox that they had a whole column about it. And I ran it and now here I am now. So my advice is just let everybody know who you are, but in the good way. Yes. Yes. That's the other that, way. That way is not. The way you describe is not obsolete. Actually, uh, Janet Garcia mm -hmm. and Logan Plant got like gigs with I freelancing through IGN because they were active in the NVC community, not necessarily bothering people at IGN excessively, but just posting, being active with the community. And so when Janet approached me, if there are any opportunities, I'm on the Wikis team. I we needed someone to do a freelance project, and so we. And also, she had a college degree in English. So, well, as a teacher, so she also had some background experience in writing. So we gave her a shot and she did super well. And now she's in the games industry. Logan Plant, same Nobody thing. Nobody works harder than Janet. Like huh? that girl yeah, no. is. She just, kills it. Yeah, she really is. She, <laughs> I, yeah. she got it, broke through it uh, kind of funny. Very happy for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I loved working with Janet. She was amazing. And Logan, and who obviously NBC fans will know him, he's so multi-talented. Like he yeah. has worked on the podcasting side. He has worked on, he's been doing a lot of good stuff with news. And now he uh, has been doing video stuff as well. Yeah. And having that kind of array of skills is so useful in this day and age. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And that, yeah. And that I, was one of the things that stood out about him as well, because he was going to college for uh, radio for broadcasting. So I also, he had some experience yeah. and I also had on on the job experience as well in the space and obviously loved nintendo and was active in the nvc community so he already knew what to expect when starting as a, an assistant for us so yeah. not, i'd say absolutely i'd say um my route was i did a lot of freelance for just a bunch of different smaller sites before going on and i did different roles i did community i did content production for other companies i think the biggest thing that helped me stand apart uh, from others when actually applying for say IGN is I put together not one, but two um, complete like Google slide decks about things that I had researched about IGN and different projects I wanted to bring to IGN to do. So I came to the table with a plan of what I wanted to accomplish over the next one to two years with getting into the role, not just, you know, answering the basic questions, but taking it a step further. That's how I always try to stand out. Um, and that got me the gig. I was also the only person who turned in slide decks, not one, but two. They were, there was a lot of stuff that my, uh, the recruiters had to look through for me, but hey, it worked out. So that's nice. great advice for uh, mm. a lot of jobs. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Do your research. My advice is, uh, first of all, try and get really good bylines uh, with sites that are like really reputable, mm -hmm. which is, I mean, often it's just a matter of finding the right person to pitch to and then having the right pitch. And if you can, mm -hmm do it then hey you got your foot in the door and people go oh ign okay that's a that's a that's a good byline uh to have I, i'm a little biased here but 
no, beyond that, like when you're pitching, <laughs> um, be willing to do some actual reporting, like learn the skills of being a reporter because being a reporter is reporting skills are in short supply in this, in this business. And they're more important than ever. And then also avoid cliches. If you ever say mixed bag in one of your things, I'm going to just close it and like throw it in the garbage. So avoid cliches and find interesting angles. Uh, Avoid console war nonsense, find interesting stories to tell. Um, and if you can stand out from the crowd in that and have a really strong voice when you're writing, mm-hmm. uh, work on developing your voice. Don't just try to write this really clinical consumer report style. And if kind of, it takes practice. It takes a lot of work to do. I mean, I spent years learning how to do all of that. But if you can kind of incorporate all of those elements into your portfolio, uh, it'll help you a lot in being able to stand out from the crowd. I will say that uh, one of the other things that I sort of noticed, because I freelanced for a really long time because nobody was doing remote work when I was trying to get jobs and I just couldn't up, uproot my family. Mm-hmm. But uh, I did, I got the IGN news gig in, I think, like 2014. And in that time between uh, working freelance news and getting hired on full time, I saw so many people get chosen to be part of our freelance news pool who wrote one story and then never showed up again. And they completely squandered it. I mean, they would change their Twitter bio to say words at IGN and they would just fall off the earth completely. Whereas I, the secret to my success was I just said yes to everything. Whenever they asked me to do a story, I said yes. And I noticed that there were certain stories that people never wanted to take. And so I took them. I covered all the uh, the quarterly reports. Uh, I listened to all those investor calls. I did all the NPDs, all the stuff that nobody else wanted to do, I did. And then eventually, instead of having like having to pitch articles or features, editors would come to me and say, hey, would you write this whatever article about Halo or something? Mm-hmm. And then that was really much easier because I hate to pitch articles yeah. very much. <laughs> And when, when you when get, you to get that people level, who are pitching at you, you know, you've yes, made it. <laughs> yes. And then it's just persevering and just working hard and being, I think, um, I don't, don't want to say like, you have to be a pleasant person to work for, but uh, I think it's, because that sounds harsh. Like we only want nice people. We don't, what am I trying to say here? Don't be don't, evil. Don't be evil. Or difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, if somebody asks you to do something and they say they need it by, you know, two weeks from now, hand it in. Oh, yeah, stick to your deadlines. Two weeks from now, yeah. yeah. Cow. Hit, hit your deadlines. Consistency is key. Um, and just be open to new opportunities and, you know, yep. kind of stretching out your wings and doing something different. There's that cliche for you, cat. Uh, um, <laughs> had to get one in there. Um, my, I think like my first reviews were all dynasty warriors games. Like I did dynasty warriors, samurai warriors. Like those, those were like, that's what I was started reviewing. And so I kind of found my voice in doing that. And then I started to get to review bigger and better things. So yeah. My, yeah. That's you another can thing. Get, my most, when I started reviewing games, I didn't get to review the triple a blockbuster, you know, nope. the newest Nintendo release. I, I think my first, well, I was very happy to do it. The first review I ever did for IGN or for every at all, the first game review was actually Kerbal Space Program. Nice. The only reason I got that was because I was friends on Steam with Mitch Dyer. They were trying to figure out who they should freelance this out to. And Mitch looked at my Steam uh, record and saw that I had already put 150 hours into the beta or the uh, early release. He's like, well, we should ask this guy. I think he's uh-huh. into it. So, yeah. My- you have a niche 
interest, yes. go for that. That actually helped me significantly was niche niche interest and it just happened to line up there is a lot of timing i guess in getting a full-time gig as well um we ign was specifically looking for a pokemon freelancer to cover uh, sun and moon for that year and i happened to had just lost my job so i was looking to try to freelance and i complained about it on facebook and someone i, I had worked with at an internship saw it and knew and remembered that i loved pokemon so nice I I applied and I had the thing is like I applied to that freelancer position with work samples and like a bunch even ones that I had done for college I had Pokemon related projects I had done for college including a how to um, and it was a guide's position so it it just seemed to it just worked out and then when the full time position opened on the guides team they also IGN also happened to lose one of their pokemon experts Callie Plaguey at the same time so it just kind of the stars aligned and i was a good fit i had experience in guides i was an expert in pokemon and it worked um yeah. but my most general advice to people looking for a job in the game journalism space is to hone your skill more so than your your game's expertise like you have to yes. be very good at what you do, even if it isn't about games, like you need to be able to, if you want to be in the journalism space, specifically being a reporter or a reviewer, previewer, or maybe you want to write guides or you want to do video editing, you need to be able to do all of those skills extremely well and you need to hone them outside of the video game space as well. And maybe you don't have to show those sorts of examples, but getting a related job outside of the video game space will help you get a job in the video game space as long mm -hmm. as those skills are related. So that's my advice. <laughs> and take those take those freelance opportunities because you need to have writing samples. Oh, yeah. Take them all and yep. in your own time, do video content on YouTube or start a blog and do your own thing. Don't start a blog. Yeah. Don't you're not going to start the next kind of funny. So you don't need to try. They've already just, got their yeah. thing. You just need to just, prove that you'll be able to do all of the functions of the job and being able yeah. to do a be multifaceted is a huge huge thing to look for like having someone be able to do what you're applying for but then also be able to help and fill in in other places as well is always a huge huge boon to have with the person yeah. yep and be proactive if you do get your freelancer positions be proactive about things <laughs> yeah yep it's all great advice also if you want to work with me learn powerpoint no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> logan actually works uh he does our weekend daily deals column now so mm. there's another shout out to Logan and he does an awesome job at it. Mm -hmm. That's why everybody loves Logan. Oh, yep. He does great work. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm going to move on to another question. This one is from at Stuman Chu on Twitter. Have you ever taken up a hobby or interest you first experienced in a video game? Stu says some games, Yakuza, have introduced me to foods I would never have tried or known existed without the video game. And now I love those foods and seek them out so does anyone have an example of something that you first experienced in a video game that now you are into in real life i started playing soccer because of fifa no way really <laughs> yes i enjoyed awesome. fifa so much i got into soccer because of fifa because i didn't so watch cool. it like at all and then i started playing fifa because i was playing other sports games so i'm like whatever i'll try this and i got really into it and I learned all the rules and I started following the leagues regularly. And then at a certain point, I was like, this is like really interesting. I actually want to try this out. And so I joined a very local rec league 
and have been playing kind of at a beginner's level. I'm not very good. I'm actually really bad, but I, uh, I really, yeah. <laughs> what position do you play? Oh, midfield. Okay. Mm-hmm. I asked like I knew <laughs> anything mid. other than the goalie. Mm-hmm. But what about you, Casey or Jada? Do you have any experiences that you were introduced to from a video game that have now translated into the real world? Yes and no. Um, so, uh, I did, I had like, you know, growing up in school, I had like, there was like one section of PE where we had archery and I really liked archery, but I never touched a bow again, um, after that. And then just like right before the pandemic started, you know, I loved all the archery and a bunch of games. So I ended up buying my own bow and arrows and targets. And so now I practice archery. Um, so So yes, yes. And no, um, you know, chicken and egg kind of situation. Um, As for the food thing, I did pick up eating chili dogs from watching Sonic cartoons <laughs> as a kid. I refused to eat, Sonic, eat chili dogs until I saw Sonic eat them one day in one of the episodes. And I was at a cousin's house and they had chili dogs for lunch. And I was like, yeah, I'll try chili dogs. Like and my parents were just stunned because <gasps> like six year old me never wanted to touch chili. And then from this day on, I love chili dogs. So thank you, Sonic. They are a delicious oh. chili dog. Nice. <laughs> oh, never mind. I, I thought I had it handy by. I was going to show it off. I have the, uh, the 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 energy drink that tastes like chili dogs. <gasps> Is it terrible? Oh. I haven't tried it yet. I'm too, <laughs> you too have afraid. to do it live. Everyone wants me to lick a switch cartridge too, and I'm no do neither one of those things. But, <laughs> Casey, do you have any example of of something that you discovered from video games? Yeah. So. Kind of. I, I don't know if I would call it a hobby, but there was a, a surface level interest that I had in middle school because I noticed after playing Pokemon and playing Lost Kingdoms and watching Digimon, like there is a trend of nine tailed foxes. And I was like, this is weird. Why? Why is everyone copying each other? This is so strange. So I like Googled it <laughs> and it's based off of, um, I guess, the like Japanese folklore of Kitsune. And I just started researching the hell out of it. I thought this creature was super cool. I actually found a very rare book from the 60s at like my local library and read it. And it was just an old book that was translated in Japanese all about different like folklores of it. And I did a project about it for social studies in the seventh grade. Like basically it just gave me an excuse to draw a bunch of foxes, but like (laughs) whatever. (laughs) But um, yeah, I guess I'm not like, I don't like do any more research. I just like got interested in the topic because of seeing a pattern in video games. But I can't, I don't know if you would consider like collecting a hobby, but I didn't. Yeah, yes, of course. That. I didn't collect. Oh, yeah. ex- That's a hobby. I guess I, stamps, I, guess I, I guess. experienced yeah. that in Pokemon, but I'm not like. I mean, I've got like two know. binders full of Pokemon cards. So, I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's a hobby on its own. So, <laughs> yeah, but, they're not worth. Twenty billion dollars, thanks to I've got the bubbles. Oh, ooh. maybe Very next cool. time I'll show them off. Yeah, no, yeah, collecting is absolutely a hobby. I am one of the world's foremost collecting hobbyists because I just collect. Well, I know everything. it's a hobby, but I don't know if that would be considered something you first experience in a video game that made you want to start oh, collecting. Sure. Like I'm collecting because I like the video game, not necessarily because I collect yeah, things okay. in the game. Um, yeah. but yeah, and if I hadn't already tasted Dongo, I would have made some already because of Monster Hunter Rise, just to know. I actually bought the ingredients to make it and I just haven't brought myself to Wait, is it, it what is this? Uh, Dongo from Monster Hunter Rise. 
It's the it's only the, food that anyone eats in that town. But what is like, what is it? You can make this at home. It's not like yeah. a made up. Yeah, it's a yeah. real Japanese street food. Oh, mm-hmm. it's like a sweet. Okay. Most of the for the most part, it's like a sweets type of treat, you, right? You can do sweets or savory. Um, mm. I think the one that was the most common one that I found on the streets was just plain dongo, which is it's like a, a rice ball, which is why like mochi is a, the sweet version. But dongo is a little bit different and is usually prepared with like a thick soy based sauce. Kat, do you, you know, can you correct me if I'm wrong about any of this? No. <laughs> OK, <laughs> but I, anyway, um, it's it's prepared on a skewer and it's um, a lot of times it's prepared on a, a grill. I believe if I'm wrong about this, please apologize. I'm sorry, I haven't been to Japan in a while. <laughs> um, but no, they do, nobody they, has, so that's okay. They do have sweet varieties as well. Mm-hmm. And I think around the Cherry Blossom festivals, they have one that, which is a pink, green, and white. white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I actually have a recipe for one in my Final Fantasy 14 cookbook that I've been dying to make. I just Ooh. haven't gotten around to do it because I have to actually go to specific stores to get this the very... yes specific uh, materials it's not something i could order from like amazon or something i have yeah, to go no, get very can't. specific flowers and um i was the other material san, i was in san francisco to get to pick up my stuff from my old apartment in september and i specifically went to a store to buy the flower that i needed yep so <laughs> and take wow. it back to florida with me <laughs> that's awesome i think my answer would definitely be i like cars a lot and i didn't really have that much interest in cars until i started playing the original gran turismo on playstation one and it sort of opened my eyes up to a whole i grew up in rural maine so the only kind of vehicles anyone talked about were like uh four wheelers or trucks and yes i own a truck that's what i do and who i am but i also have an appreciation for cars that are beyond like what i grew up around so it opened my eyes to the world of like uh, you know, high speed racing cars from Japan, from Europe, from uh, South Korea in the United States. And now I'm really into cars and my son's really into cars. And it's it's a very nice and fun thing. And I, I have to thank Gran Turismo one for making me interested in all those beautiful 85 polygon automobile models from the day. So eh, there it is. Cool. One. We have time for one more question. This is from Hayden Fortunata. And Hayden throws a little dig at me. I know Seth is an old man. That is true. Who has seen every console launch just playing around. That is also true. I have not. That is not true because I was not around when the Fairchild F or the Magnavox Odyssey were launched. Thank you very much. And I missed the Atari VCS by a few months in 1977. But what is your favorite console launch of all time? No question. Super Nintendo. Nintendo's hype machine was never more finely tuned than it was around the launch of the Super Nintendo. They dropped little hints in Nintendo Power that became, you know, a page, which became a two-page spread, which became this poster that I have hanging over here that you can't see. The Super Nintendo was the most anticipated video game event of my entire life. Uh, I bring it to Casey. What was your most favorite console launch of all time it doesn't have to be nintendo it can be anything yeah uh my i my favorite console launch is nintendo though my favorite console launch is definitely the wii it was the first console launch i had where i was kind of i was in high school so i had a lot more autonomy than any of the other previous console launches so and i had friends who were just as hyped about it as me so i remember getting my grandma to pick me up 
and take me to GameStop really early when the pre-orders opened so I could skip school and pre-order a Wii instead. And I uh, didn't tell my parents about it. <laughs> and I went to that release with a group of friends, was able to go back home with them and just kind of it was a more shared autonomous experience. And there was so much hype around it. And it was very different compared to my the previous console launches for me where I was like, hey, parents, this thing is coming out. Do you think maybe yeah. I could get it eventually? <laughs> so um, it was it was just an awesome experience. I, I, I mentioned this before, but my we and the TV to play the Wii on were my my sweet 16 presents. So, so also cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Instead Data, of what about you or anything? Oh, okay. So I was gonna say the Wii, but Casey just said you that. Can say so the I, can, Wii. I totally can. I have. I but my story is so similar to hers. With like just having <laughs> oh. autonomy, being in high school. I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna forego that one. Um, I will instead go to one of my favorite consoles that I re- I received, um, which was the Nintendo 64. Um, my parents got it first for Christmas the year it launched. And I woke up early, ran out to the living room because I, my parents had this big thing. Don't go out to the tree on Christmas morning. Wait for us. So I went out to the living room. I was in there. My parents heard me in the living room and they freaked out. They got up, ran, brought me out of the living room into the, the living room with the, or the family room with the tree. We opened presents, 64 box, um, short to the story. So I don't take up too much time. We, me and my little brother opened the box, sweaters. Just clothes oh, and stuff. Why? And Meme. we were we freaked out. We were so happy, excited before we saw the clothes. And then we finished opening everything else. We're just the most sad and down, downtrodden looking kids on Christmas morning. They take us into the living room. The 64 was literally plugged in, hooked up oh, to the TV wow. in front of us. Nice. We both missed it. it had Wave <laughs> Racer in and um sitting inside wow. the console waiting for us to play Christmas morning. And I was just like can't believe i missed that but yeah it was Dang. uh it was a bait and switch but it was a wonderful wonderful console memory for me that's good i'm glad it turned out okay. yeah i was like no emotional trauma Jane. <laughs> i don't Kat, what's your favorite console launch of all time i'll say mine in a second i just want to say that the nintendo 64 launch was my second favorite because the hype around that thing was just out of control that was the tickle me elmo christmas mm-hmm. as well yeah and you could not find an n64 anywhere mario 64 looked absolutely amazing i totally didn't get an n64 for christmas i got a vcr Aww. but oh, wow. oh no boohoo but uh i really wanted that n64 so yeah. badly but the i mean i'm gonna just say the best console launch of all time which is 9.99 okay of the sega right. dreamcast which arguably had one of the greatest launch lineups of all mm-hmm. time uh it had crazy taxi soul caliber came out so many amazing games on the dreamcast and if you bought in on the dreamcast yes it was very short-lived but so many outstanding games came out of it but more than that it was kind of the end of an era in so many ways in yeah. terms of that specific period of games and i think a lot of people look back very fondly uh on the dreamcast for that reason it was the last explosion of wonder and creativity from sega and 9999 so embodied that and it's just very catchy and then meanwhile the playstation released final fantasy 8 uh in response and i happen to think that final fantasy 8 is one of the best final fantasy games don't at me so i it was just a great game it was a great time all around to be a gamer (laughs) 
<laughs> but I did not. I did not get a Dreamcast at launch. So, uh, but my friends did, and I played those games, and they were great. Excellent. There it is. Those those are our extended question block. That is all the time we have for on this week's NVC. So you can follow us on Twitter at NVC Podcast. Submit your question block questions on the NVC Facebook group for next time. I want to thank. Casey and Jada for joining us this week. Uh, much appreciated. I also want to thank Red on the ones and twos. And most of all, thanks to you for hanging out with us. Remember, NBC is the only place where you can get the thing. Get the thing. Get the thing. Get the thing. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.